This is the Prestigious Initiative. Welcome. I'm Chris Bean, and here with me is Chris Kent. Hello, Mr. Kent. Hello, sir. Today we have a special guest joining us today. We have Dr. Corey Wagner, a dental business performance coach who's here to share some invaluable insights about improving productivity, time management, and goal setting, not only for dental professionals, but for anyone who is looking to level up their professional and personal lives. Welcome, Dr. Corey. Good morning. So, Dr. Corey, can you uh, share with us a bit about your journey that led you to become a dental performance coach? And, and maybe, you know, what, what is a dental performance coach? What, is, what do you do? So, I guess I have to go back a little before the performance coaching thing. So, uh, basically, uh, decided way back in eighth grade I wanted to be a dentist. Um, I used to go kicking and screaming to the dentist, hated our <laughs> local dentist, just he was such a mean guy. He didn't care if you cried and you you cry and he would tell you to shut up. <laughs> so and and back in the day in the 70s, I mean, there were no gloves. He didn't wear a mask. He had nasty breath. He would smoke his cigarette, put it down, and it would just billow up. Wow. <laughs> this it was just a terrible experience. So all of a sudden in my hometown, there was a new gentleman who came into town and his office was light, bright and airy and, and they were actually nice to you. It was it was incredible. And I had a little uh, space, a little diastema between my front two teeth. And he asked my mom and I if we would like to have that bonded with a little tooth colored filling material, tooth colored filling material. What is that? <laughs> right. So this was unheard of in my little town. And uh he did it. I was amazed and so excited. And from that day forward, I wanted to be a dentist. That was it. Now, I was going to be a pro football player first, but then, you know, there's a limited career. And then I was going to go into the dentistry. Well, the pro football player didn't happen. I did play college, uh, but went to dental school. So after a 30 year career, and it was a great career, uh, in 2020, and this had been kind of coming for me before that. I had had a severe neck issue. One day I got up from a cosmetic procedure of about four hours, which I did a lot of smile makeovers, loved doing it, just, just thrilled to do that for people. And I got up and I had a bad zinger in the back of my neck. And I've had him before. I had been seeing a spinal doctor for 10 years because I would get these periodic bouts. They'd last two, three days. You'd go about your business. No big deal. And this one didn't go away. And it just kept just penetrating through my neck. I would literally see patients and come home and sit in my chair and cry at night. I mean, wow. as, at the time, as a 55, 56 year old man, that just, it looked kind of sad. So uh, finally, it just kept going down my shoulder, went into my fingers. They tried shots and, uh, you know, acupuncture, dry needling, you name it, all the painful stuff. Uh, nothing worked. And finally, he said, you know, you were surgical four years ago, but you needed to believe it. So went in, had a fusion, three levels, D4 through seven. And he said, you are not going back. He said, I see you dentists all the time. It's hanging that melon over people's heads at 45 degrees and you guys ruin your necks and yours is terrible. And he goes, three level fusion. You can still golf and live your life. If you come back to me in two years, which you will, if you go back to practice, you will wreck the vertebrae above and the vertebrae below and you'll have a five level fusion. He goes, you want to you wanna mess with your life and see how limiting you are then? Do that. Wow. So I didn't. So <laughs> I sat around. It took about six to nine months to really recoup that whole thing. And I decided I've got to do something. I, I 
wasn't about the money per se. It was, I was only 56, 57 years old and I, I'm a worker. That's how my dad taught me. I like to work. I want to work. And to be quite honest, I love the dentistry. The dentistry was fun. I trained all around the country from the best of the best because I wanted to deliver really good care to my patients. I love that, but I really, really kind of enjoyed the business side. I thought that was fun. I thought keeping the numbers and, and watching and seeing how you could pull down your overhead and increase your production, your collections and, you know, and, and all kinds of things like that. That was, it was fun. Um, so I decided that's what I want to do. I want to go back in and I want to help people. And, and to be quite honest, the reason I knew I could be successful in this, number one, I loved it. So, you, you know, if you love what you're doing, I think usually you get good at it, right? Because you can't, but number two, I'm not sure if you guys know, or if, if anybody's ever told you, they give you zero business skill or training in dental school, hmm. nothing. Hmm. I mean, I actually, I look back and I, I'm not really sure how I made it through the first <laughs> couple of years and didn't go belly up. I don't know how people do do that. Um, and it, it, if you really look at the statistics and look at the trends, there aren't a lot of people coming out of dental school who do own their own practices anymore. They become an associate. Maybe they'll own down the road and kind of, you know, an apprenticeship. You're kind of training along the way. That may not happen to you for 10 years. And nowadays, it's even going to be less than that because the corporates are out there. Um, I, I had experience with them as well. We can talk about that. Um, but, uh, you know, the kids, kids just aren't, they aren't owning their own places. But the problem is when you take some of these youngsters in, I mean, whether you're owning the place or not, again, and we're going to talk about some of this production and productivity and things like that, you got to get them to understand a little bit about the business, even if you're not at the head of the business, because <clears throat> it's, it's crucial to, to making a little bit of money and having a good living. Yes, you're there to help patients all day. That is your first priority. But if you don't do it right, you won't have a clinic so that you can treat patients later because there isn't this huge giant profit margin in dentistry. It's, you know, it, there's a lot of overhead nowadays, although the equipment and supplies, it's expensive to run. So that's, that's how I got into it. And I imagine, you know, with dentistry, with any medical profession, you probably have to change out those instruments and, and equipment that you use on a normal basis just to stay up with whatever's current. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, so it's not just even, like what you're probably talking about is technology, right? Technology sure, yeah. changes. So yeah. absolutely, you're going you're gonna to be flipping through things every couple of years just as your computers and your phones change at home. So do the technology in, in a dental office. And, you know, you've seen it, I'm sure, in, in medical facilities, not just dental, where one day this office is pretty good, but then you go in and you're noticing 10 years later, they haven't done a darn thing. Mm -hmm. Well, doesn't that start to scare you a little bit? Mm. I mean, I don't like to see antiquated equipment. I don't need you to have the hottest thing in the market because I do realize how expensive that is. And, and I'm also very wary of anything that comes out right away the first year kind of thing. I'm not, a, I'm not an early adopter. Sure. I'm, a, I'm an early adopter maybe a year later or two, but I want somebody else to work through the bugs because I have been sucked into many a purchase. And dentists are notorious for this too. There's, there's another thing I can help people with when I, when I get in there. 
you don't need every new little gadget because half of them are going to be crap and they're going to be in your basement. Dentists are notorious for having a basement full of product <laughs> that they don't use that they spend a lot of money on. Sure. So, Basically, they you know a, a student would finish dental school. They would go out and have the hopes or aspirations to have their own facility, and they wouldn't actually know how to do that because the schooling only taught them how to perform the dentist part of it, but not the business side of it. So they have to kind correct. of learn on the fly. Which is, which is pretty much probably why most of them, I mean, literally 90% of them don't buy a practice right away, right? They, they go in and work for someone else, whether it be corporate or whether it be, you know, just a, a private practitioner who, who now is ready, getting closer to his retirement in another 10 years, and he wants to take on somebody because he wants to slow down a bit. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty commonplace for us. And so really, you are the kind of the in-between potentially taking the students as they graduate dental school to, to kind of teach them how to run the business, what that side of it looks like, so they can then go off on their own and, and then do that. Yeah, so it, definitely my business uh, gets gets pulled into the direction of the, the new dentist who just doesn't really know how to do it. And or what's funny and it becoming a little more popular now is an associate hires me because he knows he wants to run it. Mm but hasn't been taught much from his owner dentist, right? His boss and or realizes his owner dentist doesn't really know that much about running a really great business. Maybe that guy is getting ready to sell and just never really put anything into running the business. Again, just because you've been in the dental business for 20, 30, 40 years doesn't mean you actually know what you're doing. I mean, right? Isn't that any profession? I mean, just right. you're going to yeah. find good and bad all over. Yeah, that, yeah, that's practice does not make perfect. No. Just because no. you do something over and over again doesn't mean you get really good at it. It just means you can do it over and over again. Correct. Have you ever seen people at a driving range? <laughs> right? There are a lot of people who sit at a driving range and they'll pound buckets and buckets of balls and some of them are never going to get better. You can see it. It's never going to. So, right. yes. Same concept. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like uh, kind of where you're coming from too. And, and you mentioned it before, you know, you had that, that surgery done, you had to take some time off and then you just kind of got restless sitting around, but you're coming from it from a place of you're not in this entirely. I mean, you, you want to make money. Let's be honest. We all, we all need sure. to and want to make money, but from what it sounds like, you're really coming to it um, more from a, a perspective of trying to care for and help build up those people that are coming to you looking for help because you know what it's like and you know that the system isn't necessarily setting them up for the success that they want to achieve. And so it's it's cool to hear that you're not just in it for another profession, but... Yeah, you know, and, and I think, thank you. And I think the other piece of that is... I don't know. I've I've got this weird thing, this this feeling of I I want to be proud of my profession. Mm. And I know some of the offices. Actually, the office that I had that I sold, sold it to corporate three years before I got hurt, which was weird timing. Mm. I mean, thank you for watching out. But <laughs> uh the office now that I built and spent 30 years perfecting. It stinks. It's a terrible office. I have patients calling me and friends who were my patients for 30. They're all calling me. I mean, somehow the, the friends I know, but some people just found me and found my number, see me in the local grocery store, and they want to know where they should go next because they hate my practice that I have. Because the corporates, this, this particular company started out so great and they got rid of most of the people who built this up 
in private equity money. They just didn't care. They got a new set of people, got rid of everybody else, and the new ones in there, they just don't care. And they don't know how to run it. Right. And it makes me sad and it makes me not not ashamed, but man, I, I mean, I want people to go into any dental practice and be taken care of with great care and and honesty of what there there's a lot of unfortunate dishonesty in, in dentistry here and there. And and again, it's it depends on the person. It's not the dentistry itself. But yeah, I just I want to be proud of my profession. I want to I want to know that you know I'm part of something bigger and better. Right, and sometimes that's not always true. Right, sure, yeah. yeah. But here you are taking steps to help your industry. Trying, that, yeah, that's awesome. Running a, a dental practice, I'm sure, can be a, a unique challenge. How do you how do you help your clients transform from feeling like prisoners in their own business to gaining control and running a profitable practice? Well, okay. So, so part of my system in doing that, I mean, number one, most dentists who need help tend to be on their own, right? I mean, there, there's, it, you usually don't find a lot of groups coming my way. It's more or less individuals or maybe two people running a practice and neither one of them really have the business acumen that they, that they want. So, I mean, really the first, the first order of business is just gathering a ton of information. And it's actually listening to them, right? Because I've had this before. I don't know if anybody in the dental industry has ever spent more money on coaches and consultants than I have. (laughs) I spent a ton. And I mean, some of it was ridiculous money that I don't even remotely charge for that. I'm not sure why I accepted it, but I did. I thought I was going to get a lot out of it. Just because you spend a ton doesn't mean you're going to get a ton. Okay. So... I gather a lot of information to ask a lot of questions. And the interesting part about that is you need to gather their numbers and their stats and everything else. And doctors aren't always great at that. They don't always look at this. They have a feeling what's going on or what's going wrong. And number one, you need to address what they feel is wrong first, right? It's just like listening to a patient. The worst thing you can do is take a health history Find out why the patient's there that day and then start to tell them all these other things they need to get done. But you never addressed the thing that they came in for. Sure. Same yeah. thing applies for me. I'm, I'm now listening. You're my patient slash client. I have to listen to these guys and gals. I, I, I need to know what they think is the problem. And I really need to find a way to address that first. Now, that being said, there probably are a number of other issues that they're not even really aware of that might even be more impactful negatively to their practice. But you don't smack them with that right away, right? And you do have to bring it around in a very nice, easily presented way. And you don't want to offend anybody. So I really, I really get that together first. And then you got to put it all together, right? You got to take some time. You got to get some of these answers. Um, So, you know, once we do that, uh, I really just work on giving them small bites at a time. That's the other thing. I've noticed that, you know, you can be the most, the, the, the smartest guy in the room and you can be this great doctor and you can have all these letters behind your name. But it doesn't mean you understand every little thing and you get overwhelmed with things you don't understand, just like everybody else. We're all just, we're all just human, right? We're, we're, we're not great at every single thing, nor did I think we were ever meant to be. But you got to give people small bites so they can take this in. They can actually implement. You got to you got to do this in steps. You can't just give them this report of fifty things that are wrong and walk away. 
which is another thing that I think is wrong in our industry. I've been through this. I've gotten these reports. I've spent a lot of money where they go, here you go. This is what you need to fix. Bye-bye. Hmm. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. If I got in trouble in the first place and you're telling me and I didn't know that these were problems, how do I know how to fix them? Sure. Because mm-hmm. wouldn't I fix them already? That's right. Yeah. 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 So there, there needs to also be uh, support. You have to be engaged and you have to be consistent. And I think that's really where this, where this uh, is beneficial. Because I'm going to hang around. I mean, it's an initial three-month program, and then we can go month to month, and then you know, prices even come down from there. But it, it's so important to have that weekly meeting and go over some of these numbers and some of the things. Just even dentists need to be held accountable when they're doing something they're not used to doing when they're trying to implement, and they need support. It's it's a weird business where, for the most part, we are sitting out there on our own, and again never, never having really been trained in business. So somebody's got to kind of hold their hand for a lack of better terms. And that's what I do. And that and it, it makes a difference. When you, you meet with them, do you meet with the, uh, the dentist at first and then you uh, go through and, and meet with their, their staff? Or do you stay, stay with uh, just, the, dent, just the, the dentist that's there? How does, how does that work? That, that's a great question. And the answer is it's personal preference, not of me but of the dentist that I'm working with. I am very happy and I encourage to allow me to talk to their office manager and some of their key people. And honestly, if you'll let me talk to everybody, I'll talk to everybody because (laughs) it's, it's always enlightening to find out what the team thinks because just because the doctor thinks certain things doesn't mean that's how the team sees it. And, And if we have a disconnect there, again then my job comes in i have to somehow figure out how to how to blend these two ideas and perceptions of what's going on and bring everybody back down to the same and again without offending anyone or making mm-hmm. anybody feel stupid so and i can imagine you do all the work with the with the doctor and they make all the changes that's necessary but the staff is going on and they're not following the orders like they're supposed to or they're not following suit and not everything is lined up i can only imagine how tough that would be well, and it could go that way. It could go that way where the doctor takes everything that he's learning and, and is supposed to implement and does it perfectly, and then the team doesn't follow. It isn't always that way, though, either. Sure. So, and I've, I've seen this, too. I've been to, uh, again, because I was, I was always a geek and just a nerd for, for getting trained on more and more stuff. I always wanted to learn. So, again, I flew around the country to learn great techniques and business things, but a lot of dental things from the best of the best. But an awful lot of people who would be sitting there and spend that same amount of time and money to go to these things weren't really there to always implement it. A lot of these guys were there to learn so that they could tell you why it wouldn't work. Mm. Well, okay. But if you won't get out of your own way, you're right. Nothing will work. It was kind of like sedation dentistry. So I did a lot of oral sedation. And we found out that there was something really weird, and, and I had heard this before from some of the teachers uh, for the oral conscious sedation, and, and they said, you know, your, your worst client is typically going to be like this 18 to 22-year-old gal, and she's going to come in and she's going to have a very negative attitude. It won't work on her. And the reason was, it wasn't her age. It was just because she had a negative attitude. Hmm. If you think it isn't going to work, it isn't going to work. Sure. That's, but isn't that everything, yeah. right? So when, when some of these dentists... They, they 
think they want to know, but I don't know what gets in their head if they just think that's going to be too hard. No, I can't do this. They have uh, some self-doubt, whatever. And again, I'm there to try to encourage and support and cheerlead a little bit. But if they don't really give that full information, and, and I do find this out, I'll figure it out at some point if you're only using like a quarter or a third of the information, but we're not getting the full. And then they wonder why we're not getting this, this, this rent. Well, you didn't give them everything. They don't have all the tools yet. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of my job too, to try to help and make sure that we're going down and they're going to get, and their team's going to get everything that they really wanted. And, and why do you think that is? Why do you think they, don't implement that information or only from that part of it? Or why are they not um, using the tools that you're giving them to help them succeed? You, you know, I, I, I really can't come up with that one. Um, that's, that's been a mystery kind of my whole career because uh, I've seen it with other people. Um, I, I can't, I can't tell you sure. that I didn't have a little bit of that with some of my own consultants when they said, listen, we've tried ABCD and all our practices, it works great. And I'm looking at A, awesome, B, awesome, C. Whoa, wait a minute, C? Does that really work? I mean, there, there is a thing, and I don't know why I even did it now. I pushed myself past that doubt and, and, and tried things. And sure enough, people who know, know. And, and it worked. And yeah. it, it was great. But it's not always that. It's yeah. not always the doctor either. The doctor's one, and he's got a team of, I have a team in each of my offices, about eight to 10 uh, gals. It takes about two of them to say no, to get that all through the team. You know, that whole one bad apple spoils a whole bunch of girls from the Osmonds. Remember that song? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's true. It doesn't take very many people who are naysaying something to, you know, just turn the, turn the cauldron in there and get everybody turned against it. it. It is really something. And it's, and that's another thing we fight. And unfortunately, some of some of my best recommendations are to get rid of one or two of your employees because right. sometimes that is the only way you're getting ahead because that's another thing I'll figure out real fast too. If you have an employee or two are holding you back, that's that can't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's that's they either have to be trained out of it, which I would always give the opportunity. Otherwise, they have to go. Right. And and so for us, a little bit of background for us, we we. Uh, I don't know, we run, we, uh, I would say we run partially. We run a martial arts school and he, he is at a different location than I'm at. I'm not the owner. I, the, the owner is, is there on occasion, but I teach all the classes. I manage the staff and stuff. Um, so all of this stuff, I mean, that's not dentist, but it's a service business. So it's, it's a lot of overlap for this. Sure. Um, I have found that sometimes there is one or two people in the staff that are actually, or they think they are pulling the strings for what's happening and they yes. are they are everybody's go-to and that person more often than not is the source of the sort of say cancer that is spreading through everybody and uh once that person goes away it's interesting because then a void kind of opens up and all those people are looking for somewhere to plug in at. and hopefully in this case i am the person they can do that for to get them back on the sort of say straight and narrow uh, to what we need the, to, to do. But it's interesting because, you know, it, it does it really just does take just one person on the, on the team to, to be that person to, to control and, and again, pull the strings for people. And that is really tough for the, for the managers or for the, for the doctors or whoever to kind of 
come in and, and, and control what's going on because somebody else that is behind the scenes is actually trying to do it all. That is 100% true. And, and do you know why the average business owner really, and I'm sure this isn't just dentistry, it's what I know, but I'm sure you'll, you'll agree with it. But do you know why they don't get rid of bad people? Well, because it, it probably costs more to train the new person than it does to keep that person. That, that comes across. I hear that once in a while, but it's even, it's even deeper than that. Mm. It's fear. They don't think they can survive without this person, which just drives me nuts. Mm. Now, I, again, I will say I've been through it. There, there was a time where I had a key person who was undermining me. I did not know this for about two years, and I could not figure out why people were leaving. People were getting mad. We weren't up in production. And then I found out she was taking everything that I said in our big meetings and saying yes to me and looking at everybody else and going, no, we're not. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see that. I didn't know it. So come to find that out later. But you're right. It's a fear thing. They think they can't live. This person's so important. But every time I've let somebody that just needed to go, let them go. It's amazing to watch everybody else blossom. I, I don't think we give enough credit to the other people in our teams who may not be the head person or the most important person, how much they can grow and really help out. Every time I've done it, it's been beneficial. Well, and I think part of that fear comes from that person. They say that they're doing all of the work that everybody else is actually doing. And so you fear that if you leave, that you let that person go, oh man, these people aren't doing anything. But really, time to find out that person was doing hardly anything and everybody else was already doing their job. It is so true. Yeah. So true. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I'm sure listeners, no matter the profession, uh, can benefit from improved productivity. What are, what are some perhaps universal tips or tricks uh, that you teach your, your clients that can be implemented across careers? Well, one thing I did for oof, probably at least 25 of my 30 years uh, at the end, maybe I'd, the first couple of years were a little bit of a blur because I was still learning all the, all the stuff I needed to. But once I really got some systems down, um, one of the things we used with great success, and I believe that every business should do this for the most part. Now, this may not work 100%. For businesses where people come in in a scattered schedule, or you have a lot of part-time people where half your people aren't here on this day and the other half aren't there on that day. Nevertheless, you still have to figure it out. What I'm talking about is morning meetings. We had a meeting, you were had to be there on time. I only spent 15 to 20 minutes. It was never very long, but it's so, so important. And we found our production and just the happiness factor amongst myself and the team was way, way up. So number one, you're getting organized. You're going over the schedule, right? And this is, again, this isn't just dentistry. This could be anything. What does our day ahead look like, right? So in a lot of businesses, there might be things that mess with the schedule. I mean, dentists aren't the only people who have emergencies, if you will. You could be in construction or anything. And if something comes up, where are you going to put that in your day? How are you going to help someone else who needs an emergency sort of help? And again, can be a, that can be wide across a lot of in, in industries. But if people don't know and you don't talk about it, you're going to get jammed in the wrong time of the day. It's going to be chaos. Um, people are very unhappy. People, you start burning out your employees and things like that. You don't want to do that. I also think it's really important. And I didn't really do this in the beginning and realized, and especially I think nowadays, how important it is. But we would use those morning meetings to praise our team, our employees, for the wins from the day before. You know, it's funny. I, I never really thought I needed that either. 
then I started to realize I really enjoyed it when one of the, my own team members came up to me and said, Doc, you did such a great procedure on that. That was beautiful. And it's not like, oh my God, thank you. you know I mean? just, so everybody likes appreciation, right? And I don't think I spent enough time in the beginning of my career doing it. And I think nowadays, and again, when you leave, read reports on, you know, I, some of the, the newer generation, they don't really like to be reprimanded, uh, but they really like praise. They like appreciation. Well, you do have to reprimand. And I don't really use that morning meeting to, for, for reprimanding. I don't, I don't really think that's the right time to do it. And I don't think you do that publicly anyway. I think you take a person in privately. Talk about the issue. Don't talk about them personally and attack them. But I do discuss issues from the day before, right? But we use it as a teaching uh, moment. So we go, hey, you guys, remember when yesterday we were all running around crazy and this happened? Okay, I thought about this last night. Here's how I think we can best. And, and tell me if you guys have any other ideas too. And you really got to get the team involved. So that morning meeting helps people feel part of this too. So then I want to hear from uh, different departments like the hygiene. Was there anything that we didn't do yesterday or that we need to look at? Do you need anything? And then we, we'd go through this and it would be pretty quick. It was pretty streamlined, but what a huge difference. So I think people need to start their days like that. And so really, it sounds like you're doing two things in there. One, you're setting the atten- intention for the day, uh, which is which is key, I think, of making sure everybody stays on track doing what they need to do. But also you are asking questions there and getting feedback from from your staff, from, from the people. And then you are able to talk about whatever those questions or answers to those questions are in order to make sure everybody's heard, but also so that you can implement perhaps the, the things that need to be implemented from there on. Uh, agreed. And I think, I think just even by doing that, you're setting some sort of, of precedent and, and protocol that allows people to be open, right? Uh, one of the worst things that, that can happen in a business is when an employee comes up to you and says, can I talk to you? Worst words I've ever heard. Because hmm. you know what that means, right? They're going to tell you they're leaving. Sure. That, that's, in my mind, that's, that's, can I talk to you? So we'd go in and then say, well, I found a new job, but you didn't even tell me you were unhappy. So I used to have that when I think we were a little too closed off. And, and again, the morning meeting starts to open up the office. It feels like you really are wanting other opinions. And then you, you have to, you have to ask for it. If anybody's got anything, please bring it to me. And, and I, I learned that the hard way a couple of times too. And so that, that really helped because then people felt free to come and discuss little issues. Granted, sure, sometimes they were petty and it, it wasn't a big deal. But what's petty to me may not be petty to them. And, and like you said, in losing somebody anyway, yeah, not only, not only the fear, but it's expensive, right? And then you have to retrain somebody else. So if, if you have people that are decent, you do want to try to do what you can to maintain them. And that, that, that only helps. With having that kind of openness with your, with your staff, is there ever a point where you feel they're too comfortable throughout the day? And if so, how do you, how do you combat that? Good question. Um, yeah, you know, and, and there, there, is, there is another thing that hopefully if I can help anybody when, when I've got these clients, um, it took me a number of years to figure out that, that line and that nice range if you're too much of a friend, you get no respect. You don't get anything done. If you're too much of a hardcore boss, then you might not get anything done either. And then they don't trust you and they don't ever talk to you. So there is, there is this meet, you know, happy medium. Um, I, I, started to, I started to really get into that in probably the last 10 years of my career where 
I just point blank told everyone, listen, if you've got something to say to me, I give you permission to tell me. That's huge. That's a big statement, right? I give you permission to come and tell me when I may not be doing something right. Now, I will never get mad at you for telling me that I did something wrong or, you know, what's going on. But just remember, it's not what you say to me, but it's how you say it. But that's that's with each other too. That's right. That's the whole team. And and when you find employees having problems with other employees, it almost always comes down to that. It's not it's not what they said, but it was the the attitude or the the projection of how they said it. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'd have I'd have a gal come in and can I talk to you again? Here I think they're going to quit. So we sit in my office and I said, sure, go ahead. You know, when you go back and forth between patients, you run into the to the treatment room. Now I know we're we're boom, 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 but you have to walk in. You have to be calm, shake their hand. You can't look like you're in a rush. I'm going, wow, I do that, huh? Yeah, you do that. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know, was that offensive? No, not offensive. Was it helpful? Super helpful for me. <laughs> I mean, it really made a difference. I started to notice I was doing it and I didn't even notice I was doing it at all. So, but you your employees are never going to tell you this unless they were given that okay. They have to be given the freedom to discuss that and to tell you that you're not perfect either. A lot of bosses won't do that though, right? You don't want to hear it, but you, you need to hear it. And that, that's huge. Yeah. Time management. Time management and goal setting, you know, I think are, are crucial skills for success. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, they're not something that is that's really taught uh, in school or, or anywhere. And so, uh, you know, how do you how do you approach teaching your students probably for the first time or, or your clients, sorry, uh, effective time management and, and goal setting strategies? Do you have any any kind of go to things that you use for that? Well, yeah, number number one in dentistry. Now, I, this could this could be for for also for any industry. This is sort of universal, but this this really helps in dentistry. Dentists don't tend to know how long things take. That's the dentists that, all. Yeah. Parkinson's law, humans in general don't know yeah. how long things take. And I think it's Parkinson's Everybody law. Everybody thinks they're faster at any given thing than they are. So in dentistry, that's a horrible problem because uh, I'm seeing it now in my, my old practice. I'm being, this is part of the calls I'm getting that say, where, where do I go? Because I can't go to your old place anymore because they're not doing it right. So there will be three people sitting in a dental chair in three different rooms at the same time for one doctor. And each one of the procedures should have taken 30 minutes, but somehow one of the patients ends up being there for three hours. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? So can't do that. So how, how we do that in dentistry is every new dentist who came aboard with me and, and once a year for myself, my team would stopwatch and time my procedures. Mm. And I mean, up to everything. I needed to know how long does it actually take to give anesthetic how long did it actually take to do this filling? How about a crown? How about an extraction? Every little thing I did, we had time. And again, my time is not the time for the office. That's my time. A new associate is not going to be as fast as somebody who was in the industry for 30 years. There's just no way, right? right. It, it, takes, it takes time to develop those skills and get efficient. So I, I really encourage, and it's funny how, how many people laugh about this once they do it and go, wow, I didn't realize that that was my time. But if you have a time, that's part of the organization, right? You cannot 
have decent time management and goal setting skills, but the time management, if you don't know how long things take, I mean, there's just no way. It's called time management for a reason. You need to know the time. As you're, as you're stopwatching yourself, do you find that sometimes you are racing against the clock in order because you know you're being timed? I'm sure that can happen. And, and it's not just one time you're doing it, too. We, sure. we take averages. But what I, what I try to encourage is over the course of a couple of weeks, the doctor doesn't get to time himself. He does. I ask the staff not to tell him when they're being timed, him or her, not to tell them when they're being timed so that they can make a list. And I need several of each procedure because you're right. Yeah. I mean, any one of us are going to possibly try to cheat the deal. However, that being said, that isn't the worst thing in the world either. And, and I do encourage that once in a while too. Part of the time management thing in dentistry, the average dentist is, is typically very slow. Slow is not good. So one thing that's in the research and has been in the research for a long, long time is the longer you are drilling on a tooth, even with all the water and the high-speed hand pieces we have nowadays and all the nice things to make it a little more palatable for people, the longer you're on the tooth, the closer you, chance you have of heating that tooth up irreparably where you're going to need a root canal. So you do not want somebody doing the three-legged stool thing and doing a crown and zip, 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 zip. Zip, 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 and they just all day they're just doing this over and over again when they could have just got them around one time and done it right right so we we want them to be efficient we want them to be faster and dentistry like many businesses dentistry is a hustle business you have to you have to move but that's not what you see in a lot of clinics yeah they go they drill a tooth boom get it all done talk to the patient five minutes you know, their buddy, whatever, talking about the family. And then they go sit in their office and they put their feet up and read a magazine for 15 minutes while somebody's still waiting. And then they go in there. Nah, that's, 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 not, what, that's not what it should be like. And, and there should be, again, the other time management thing is once you know your, your timings for each of the procedures, and again, whatever industry you're in, you're doing this. I, I really don't like the, you know, do a procedure and then you got all this rest time and then you do another one. I would stack things. Now you can't back to back them, right? This is what we're talking about. People are doing and they're just having all these patients sit in a row. Well, what if I had this patient and near the very end, my assistant was taking care of the, the last 10 minutes. Do I need to be in there? And should I be sitting in my office? Or can I also be starting another procedure with another assistant, right? right. There, are, there are times that in, in dentistry, beautiful thing is you give anesthetic, you need to wait 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I could be doing something productive in that other 10 minutes. And so I teach them too, scheduling wise, well, what can you do in 10 minutes? Well, I could give a different anesthetic. Now that could be a little tricky because now you're going to, you're still going to be very close, but you could do an adjustment. Somebody might've had a filling or a crown that's just hitting a little funny from a day or two before. Now that they're unnumbed, get them in on that time, do a quick adjustment. They're happy. They're out. You didn't waste production time because you're still waiting for this other person to be numbed for actual production, for actual treatment. So we, we try to teach them about how to do that yeah, yeah. and how to move around through, through the scheduling. Um, another thing that I think is really important and, and you'll find, I mean, I, again, I think it's, I think it's nice. Dentists want to succeed. They want to be the hero. We want to fix things. We, we want to make people happy. I mean, generally, I think that's why you get in it, but you need to know when to say no. And that's a really important lesson too. There are, 
a number of procedures that unless you know well, you are wasting your time and you're wasting the patient's time. I mean, um, a molar root canal, okay? A molar root canal is not that hard to do because once I teach people and I try to help them clinically too, a molar root canal can have three different nerves and people just lose their mind over how hard this is going to be. And it does, it takes them way too long. But when I teach them that it's just three single-rooted teeth, basically, oh, well, I can do a single-rooted tooth all day. Yeah, I know you can. So why don't you just treat these three different nerves like three separate little teeth? Oh, wow. So we get, we get into that and teach that. But if you're not good at that or it's a really tough one to get to, like an upper second molar, very tough. If you're really not adept at it, there is no reason for you because you saw the price tag of what a molar root canal is going to get you. But if it takes you three hours and it's supposed to take you 40 minutes, did you make any money? Because you could have been doing single surface tooth color fillings that take you no time at all. Granted, they don't have the price tag, but the volume that you'd get over that time and filling it in. Again, we need to teach them, and I, I do a lot of this too. We need to teach them how to be good at what you're good at and forget some of the other things until you are willing to and, and successfully can be trained at. So this is kind of like, I always, I always use the analogy where you go to a restaurant. Now, if I go to a really nice restaurant, I'm in the really good you know, uh, mood for a really good meal. And my wife and I are kind of foodies that way, right? The typical restaurant I go to, it doesn't have to be this, you know, high, huge ticket item, price tag kind of thing, highfalutin restaurant. But I open the menu. There are only so many things on that menu. But where I go to these places, I know I went there because the few things they have are done tremendously well. But what about the restaurants we all go to? And I'm not, I I don't want to use any even nationality, but some of them, you know, you you page after page after page (laughs) after page after after menu item. And none of them are really great. They're okay. You're not there for the, you're probably not at at that restaurant for the best meal of your life. But if you have too many things on the menu, and I've I've watched way too many kitchen nightmare shows and things like that, (laughs) and usually you can't do all that well. You can't. So if you dial it down and just offer the things that you're really good at, be okay with saying no, right? Be okay with letting that go. And the one you really need to let go, and if you want your time to be managed well, you need to know which patients to say no to. Mm. You don't even need to know the treatment per se. But some people walk in, one of the classic things that they've always said in dentistry And I remember this from the first year I got out. If someone comes to you with a bag of nine dentures and they want you to make a new one because nobody else did it right, you're just going to be number 10 in that bag. There's no way you're going to be, there's no way that you all of a sudden are magically that much better than than everybody else. And you look at these things and they all look beautiful. They all, you ask them to put them in and they look decent. This patient just doesn't like anything. Why would you want to take that on? You are going to marry a nightmare. Sure. And that, that in dentistry is also, that's real. You get the wrong patients and you are going to marry some of these people and they're never going to leave you alone. It's, it's bad. And I've had, to, I've had to actually sit down and exit some people and give them an exit interview and send them on their way. Mm. And that's, that's tough. So 
best if you can figure that out in the beginning. That right. definitely help your time. <laughs> I, I really like the, the the stopwatch, the timing yourself and seeing how you know how long it takes you to get done. I I know I've done things where I've stopwatch, I've timed myself to see how quick or how many things I can get done in ten minutes or five minutes. And then yeah. I try to play the game like that to see how I can sure. I can get more things done in less time just to try to break that Parkinson's law. Um yeah. so what what about what about goal setting? How do you how do you work with your clients for goal setting? And, and can I go back to time management thing? Yeah. One, one more thing that I had on here yeah. that I, I think is really important. I'm sure this happens also in every business too. And, and, and there's, you know, there's no shortage of people who want to sell us supplies, uh, give us new techniques, new equipment, things like that. And we talked about that before, how keeping up, right? That can be expensive, keeping up with technology and, and equipment. However, in dentistry, one thing we saw all the time is supply guys would come in and they'd have this new, they'd have this new block, this new block of 18 different burrs. So little drill bits, if mm -hmm. you will, that's what we call them burrs. So, you know, to shape a tooth for, for this kind of filling, here's 18. And then for this kind of crown, here's a different 20 in this pack. And you open them up every time, but these things are so expensive. I figured out it didn't take me that many years in the industry in the beginning to figure out I only used two of those in that pack. I only used one in that pack ever. I really never pulled them out, but then the packs were sold as packs and they're super expensive. And I, I, this is another thing I teach clients how to dial things down and minimize because you get really good, not only picking the procedures you're really good at, but only using the, the crucial tools and instruments that you need all the rest. It's just, it's just, it's in the way and it's, it's too many options and you really get kind of stymied by that whole deal. So when you only have what you, what you have for, I literally made a bird block that handled every procedure. There were a couple for this couple for that, but for the most part, it was streamlined. My assistants loved it. I loved it. I got really good at the feel and there's, there's something important to that for us in dentistry. There's some about the feel of any given drill bit and how it reacts, but now you're doing it day after day after day, you get really good at it. So sure. that helps time as well. So just keeping streamlined in what you're using. Now you have to learn and you have to keep up on what's, what's new and what's out there. The most embarrassing thing that can ever happen, it happened to me once somebody came to me with something I should have known was in the news in dentistry. I did not know how to answer because I had no knowledge. Well, I look like an idiot. I should have known. Why, why should this patient know more about my industry than me? Mm. I never let that happen twice. That was pretty early in my career. Sure. Um, so you have, to be, you have to be careful with that. Um, I, can, I can go to goals now. Okay. So one thing on, on streamlining, I, I, I do, when me and my wife moved out, we had to buy, you know, had to buy everything because we didn't have a house before. So we we're trying to look at all of the different kitchen utensils and things that, that, that you have. And we're got a few odds and ends and we're on cookware and they got these huge boxes that have all these things inside. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't, this is so expensive. Do we ever use these things? And so we bought like, we bought like three items and, and they were nice, nicer items and probably what was in the, in the kit. And then every once in a while, you know, we, we, well, I wish we had really had this. Okay. Then we go out and buy that one thing and then we add that. So my, my cabinet isn't full of, you know, overflowing even of, of odds and ends of, of cooking utensils that are useless that we never even use because we bought the box, but rather we bought this item and then this item. I think that's good for right now. We'll go use these and see what else do we need. And when we need those things, we buy those things. Right. 
Yeah. I, I think that makes I think that makes people in general, like you said, at home or at work, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you're just more productive. Sure. Right. Because you know the things you're going to use, you know how to use them instead of constantly. But then you spend half the time trying to figure out with if you have too many things, should I use that? Shouldn't I use that? What do I do with that again? I, I don't know. I, I just and most of the time you have I mean, not that you have the bare minimum, but if you had the bare minimum, you could do a lot of things with the bare minimum that you you know, you could have the fancy version of it, but the bare minimum works just fine as long as you know how to use it. Absolutely true. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Sorry. Goal setting. Goal setting. No. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the, the goals, I, I think you obviously have to have goals, right? I mean, there, there's no way to go up if you don't know where you're at and, and track your numbers. So that's another thing. Dentists in general want to say that aren't always great at tracking numbers. I mean, they kind of know where they are here and there, but they, they just don't know the stats. They don't know the true progression. They don't know the, the charts. So I try to get that stretch or get that down on paper so they can actually see that. But one of the things that you find, and I'm sure this is pretty common in most businesses, the average goal that people want to do is a yearly goal. Okay, this year, team, we're going to do this. Well, okay, but there's really, and, and I've done it. I did that back in my career too, until I've had a couple of consultants, you know, train me and, and turn me around was I saw it as well. Yearly goals don't work. Yearly goals last for about two months max. And then the team just kind of fizzles out because there's just no, there's no, you know, excitement. There's no, it's too far away. It's kind of like baseball. There's so many darn games in baseball. The beginning of the season is exciting. The middle of the season doesn't matter. And then at the end, it gets exciting, and then everybody cares. Well, let's let's cut that out. Let's not do that. Let's have it exciting all the time. So I encourage my clients to make small goals. And I mean, weekly even would be fine. Monthly is, is at the worst. I mean, you make your yearly goal, but you have to have little segments. And I love the monthly because you can see it, and then if it doesn't happen, you can fix it. The other thing about that is usually if you're having a goal, if you really want your goals to be hit, you have to incentivize your team. You have to. So the incentivizing really comes in the form of, of some sort of bonus, right? And, and a really bad bonus is worse than no bonus at all. Yes. And I've had this before because it, it will entitle people. They start to expect things from you. You really have to, to make it reasonable. And um, you have to have it where it's, it's, it's a step up from where you were before. But you got to give it to them once in a while, right? I mean, some of these goals, and, and I've, I've seen this in practices too, they'll get up to that level and they're right here. They're right here. And, and the whole premise was if you don't hit your goal, you don't get a bonus. Now, I don't disbelieve that that's true. I don't think that that's wrong. However... You have to you have to let them hit it once in a while. So that again, there's the year. So you worked all the way up to the year, and you got here, and they go, "Well, sorry, you missed it by a hundred bucks." What? Mm. You're going to have a really really salty team. Sure. They're really not going to work very hard for you after that. So I like the weekly. I like the monthly goals. It helps them stay focused. I like a bonus program that works not just on on pure production per se, but really the profit. Because I also I noticed I've done this before too, and it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky. It doesn't have to be super convoluted. But if you just do it on your production, what you start to find, and I had this happen for a while, is you start to find 
different people in the office who are producing just to produce. The the hygiene, the cleanings got from 45 minutes to an hour down to 20 minutes. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just sent that person, you only spent 20 minutes on No, no, hey, we got to get going. We got, well, okay, you can create monsters, right? You got to be careful with that. So you have to police it as well. Let them know where the levels are and, and how you're going to achieve that and, and help them to get there. Um, I think I think the best goals are something that aren't hit absolutely every month. I think if they're hit every month, they might not be high enough. I think if you don't hit it, but once every four months, it's too high. I think every other month is probably where an owner should kind of gauge that that you're hitting it. Otherwise, you're probably not making it really a real goal. You're just paying them for what the stuff they already probably should have done. And that's that's the other thing. I, I think a lot of people feel guilty about about having that bar raised up a little bit uh, because I don't know. I don't know if they get guilted in by their team or what, but. You know, if you're already paying a fair wage, then you should be getting a fair day's work. Bonuses are for going above and beyond, right? And you need to let the team know that. And you got to get everybody involved in that and understand that you do a great job. But if we can do better than we're doing now and we can raise that up, I'm going to share that with you. You know, there's different ways to do that. Um, you know, I think I think the other thing is it's it's kind of funny when you look at the Internet. If you've ever if you've ever searched at like what a yearly you know, increase should be, man, is it wild? I mean, I've seen, you know, two to 4% growth a year is a really good business. And I've seen other sites tell you that you should really be shooting for 25%. Well, I don't know about you guys, but if things are really dialed in, in your business, and I don't care what business this is, can you really grow 25% a year? I got to tell you, I was hustling my butt off. There was no way I was doing 25% more every year. What's going to happen? Yeah. Not unless I raise fees so so dramatically that nobody would come to see me anyway. Sure. Right? So I think you gotta be very careful. I think I think the average that I've seen the most reasonable somewhere in the five to ten percent growth a year. And you can you can whittle that down. And and the other thing I noticed about goals, and I really, really encourage my clients to do this as well, is break it down. You might understand it, but I noticed for a long time that teams don't necessarily understand it. They, they don't get money. They think you're the rich guy and you've got all the money and you are just duping them and there's no way they're ever going to get ahead and, and make this, make this work out uh, for them. So um, we, we go through and, and get down like kind of like this. So, so this practice is doing a million dollars, right? We want 10% growth next year. You got to spell it out. You got to give people visual Put it on paper, put it on a chart. You know, 10% is $100,000, $100,000. How are we going to do $100,000 more? Well, if you divide that by the weeks that you're going to work, right? 52 weeks, I call it 48. Say there's four weeks off, whatever. I just you always use 48. It's 2,083 a week. That's less than two crowns a week. Can any dentist fit in less than two crowns? Call it two crowns. Two crowns a week somewhere. Answer is yeah, you could. So when, when they see that, when the teams see it simplified like that, you do get a lot more engagement and a lot more excitement out of it. And actually, even out of the doctors, sometimes they can't even fathom how they can do this. But, you know, it, it's, it's not that hard if you're not picking that lofty of a goal. But you have to at least have the goal, even, even if you get close and you don't make it and you still decide to give your team something or take them out, uh, you know, some congratulatory something, that's, that's fine. 
But I think it needs to, it, it definitely, definitely needs to happen in small, more frequent increments during the year. You cannot wait for the end of year because it's just a bad, bad feeling and a bad taste in every employee's mouth when they got really close and all of a sudden they're turned down. I know uh, we did we did a whole series I think of, of episodes about goal setting and, and the way we kind of here's the short sweet and short version of it is we have end goals you have uh, smart goals you have milestones which is was pretty close to a smart goal and then you have daily habits and practices and all of those build into into the end goal and the end goal would be something not like I want to make a million more dollars this year but more right. so I want to be happy in my life and so they're right. the goals that you can't say yep I finished it on today but a smart goal or a milestone would be the kind of the things and all of this you start with the end and then you kind of work backwards what do I have to do on the daily basis in order to get this right. to go and then once I get those how can I keep track and, and, and meet those milestones around the way? Or what are those milestones going to be at to make sure I'm right. hitting in line with those? And it sounds like that's essentially the sim- similar process to what you're doing for your, for your clients. Yeah. And I think based on what you were saying, uh, and I really like that, um, in, in the goal setting, I also encourage the client to, to make more or less individual goals, right? Like you said, well, let's make the practice, make a million dollars more. Well, how, how does that department or that gal over here versus the hygiene versus the system. How do they even fit into that? How do they help that happen? So break it down. You know what their tasks are. Now, if you can sign up, you know, this many more people for that, that's your goal for this month, right? You, you can do this and you can, you have to break that down. You have to break down their job descriptions, their tasks and make it specific for them. I think it's, I think it's, I, I've done it both ways. It's way more productive. You'll get those goals a lot faster if everybody knows specifically what to do. And I think that's in general, right? I think in general in business and in coaching and consulting, I think that's a huge item anyway. We need to be specific. So many, so many owners are vague. All right, we need to do better. What does that mean, right? We need, I need more out of you. I need more. Well, you, you have to let people know what you need, how you need it, how you want it done. And it gives them a template, but you can't just leave people out on their own and say a couple vague things about how much you want everything to be better. That really doesn't work. Never really has, but we all fall into it, right? So you have to take a few moments as an owner. You have to dial in everybody's job description and figure out where they can actually really help you to achieve those goals. And I'll tell you, every time people get specific like that and the employees know what they or what is expected of them. They typically will do it. That's the fun part. That's the fun part. But if you don't, you're going to find a lot of confused people. And again, confusion never leads to unity or production or, you know, you just, you never have that feel good team. If, if everybody's running around day to day and just doesn't really know what really they're supposed to do. And is he happy with me? Is he not happy with me? Because I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Right. I mean, my, yeah. my son just, he graduated with his master's uh, last year, went to a company. They, they preached that they were going to train and be a great mentor and all kinds of community and camaraderie. And nobody talks to him. He's in this company. His person above who's supposed to train him hasn't really said much of anything. Uh, COVID's over and they still only want him to come in two days a week. But he comes from playing soccer his whole life. He played D1 soccer at Marquette University for five years and he loves team. There's no team. Hmm. So 
Uh, he just got a new job and this company is all about the team and, and the camaraderie and the little things they do together with all the people. And it, it's funny to watch him, to watch this kid who I thought was a great kid in, in social, but he was always kind of flat and kind of here just because they're in the last year or two and just boom, just instantly because he's got this camaraderie around him and this support and all these people and they do things with them. Man, that's that's so important. You you can't you can't just walk into your office, run your business during the day, never talk to employees, never engage, never show you care, and just walk out at the end of the day and expect that they're all they're all in. <laughs> they need a little more than that. Yeah, and and you know, speaking of of walking out of the out of the office, how do you how do you help your clients? You know, kind of balance the the life work life balance and find a good equilibrium uh, between those. Yeah, I'm 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 a really big really big proponent of of pushing them to to work work super hard during the day. And when you're done, you're done. That's a big thing for me. Listen, get everything you have to do in the day. And if you have to go in just a hair a little early, a little paperwork, fine. If you have to stay just a little bit, and I mean a little bit, like half hour, get it done, but you have to get out of there. The rest of the time, you are never going to be a great business owner or productive in any business, if all you do is work, that just doesn't work, right? That just doesn't work. Family, friends, exercise, sleep, nutrition, hobbies. I mean, you got to have this, you got to have a balance, man. I mean, you cannot. And I know some people who just, that they just thought it was so much fun. They just wanted to work all the time and make more money. And I've got this house. I want this car. And I want this. Yeah, but, but how much are you going to love it? When you wake up 10 years later and all you did 24 seven was that, I mean, and again, I, there was a period in my life where I wanted to, I wanted to, on the side of being a desk, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. So I still, I like to lift. I love to exercise this and that, but I got over, I got over that part of it because you literally needed to eat sleep. And all you did was think about that. I mean, okay, if you're not making money at that kind of thing, but even if you are, Doing any one thing like that all the time, it's actually just, it's, it's counterproductive, man. It's, mm. it's, it's detrimental. Even the best bodybuilders now, even that I still kind of listen in once in a while, little fitness tips and tricks, even though I probably know them all now, but it's still fun to listen. Um, more than, more people are, are more centered now saying, you know, get in the gym, get out. You don't go when you're in the gym anyway, and then go do your life because this, this isn't what it's all about. There is no one thing that it's all about. So, so I really encourage people that they, they, they get out of there and they just don't do, they don't do extra work when they're done. You, you need, you need to get out. And so really that's, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're helping your clients set boundaries and this is the start of the day. This is the end of the day. And when you leave, you leave it, it you have to leave it all there and know that when you come back tomorrow, those things will still be there. You can catch up when you get there. Exactly. Um, the only, the only thing I have them do. And I think this is, again, this is just, this is one of the things I, I just don't, I think it's a non-negotiable. I think you have to do this. And the few doctors that I've known that have ever done this, even, even with me, just gained a much bigger space in my heart, in my head for, for going back to them and having them be my doctor. When you get done with your patients at night, the only thing I want you to do with any of your patients, I want, I want all my docs to call the patients that they gave at least now, if you just did an adjustment, you don't need to call them. But anything that you required some anesthetic for, that you had to give them a shot, I want those people called. And it's going to take you literally 30 seconds 
Hey, this is Dr. Wagner. Just checking in after your anesthetic and after your extraction today. I just want to make sure and see how you're feeling. Oh my gosh, doctor. Oh, that's so nice. I'm doing, I'm doing really well. I can't believe it. it really doesn't hurt. Well, that's awesome. If you have any questions or concerns, we'll be in the office tomorrow. You make sure you let me know and you have a good night. Oh, thank you so much. Goodbye. Boom. I mean, I might have had 10, 20 patients like that. That just took me, what, 20 seconds? Talk about the feel good you get out of that. But that's, that is the only work I want them doing at night. And by doing that, you generally uh, find that you reduce the amount of uh, emergency calls because usually the emergency calls, for the most part, they're not something where somebody just broke their tooth. Of course, that's going to happen. But it's usually people who are uncertain about something they're feeling. And it's usually people who just had a procedure. And they just, you know, I'm feeling this, or I'm a little warm here, or I, I, I'm still a little numb. Is that okay? But if you call, by the time you're done with work that day, and it's only been a number of hours, and you just set everybody's mind at ease, I'm telling you, one of the greatest things I've ever done. Talk about, talk about ingraining your patients into staying with you. It's huge. Yeah. So it's interesting you, you say that we have a similar practice that we use at work uh, for, for martial arts. When we have a new student start with us, uh, they, they normally start on either a Monday or a Tuesday, the first two days of the week. And then by Friday that week, I'm on the phone calling them and say, hey, you know, just checking in on, on Johnny and see how he liked class. And, you know, if you have any questions or anything like that, do real similar like that. And it doesn't take very long. And it, it, gets that, it makes that connection that is that's so impactful. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're all. I think we're all looking for a little connection and community these days, right? Yeah. And if I go to a doctor, yeah, I mean, I've always had this argument. I, I need a new heart. And I've got two doctors to choose from. One's an absolute a-hole, but he's the best in the world. He's got a 100% success rate. Then there's the other guy. He's the nicest guy you've ever met, but he's got like a 70, 75% success rate. Who do you want to go to? Well, I mean, for something like that. So that argument doesn't work because I want to go to the a-hole. I, I want 100% success. Yeah. However, most of our things that we're talking about are not life and death here, right. right? In the world, most of the things we're going to do and the people we're going to work with, even our regular day-to-day physician, I, I want to be cared for. And I want somebody to treat me nice. I've been to a physician before once and he wasn't my physician. It was an emergency way back in the day. I had a terrible back thing. Do you know when you're, when you're holding your, your babies? your little kids and you got those weird carriers and you mm. hold it on one side and yeah. it like torques your back. I got I, my back went out back when I was young, I was like 26 years old and I had our new baby and, and I just couldn't handle that, that weight pulling me forward. And I had a back thing, went to a guy, he never looked in my eyes. I talked to him. He was going to write me something. He never even looked at me. He looked down his paper the whole time. Here you go. And he walked out most rude kind of appointment. I don't know. Why would I ever want to like make him my real doctor? Right. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't care what business you're in. Your your business and you call people. People want to feel cared for. They yeah. want to feel like they're spending their money with somebody who actually gives a crap. Right. Yeah. I think it's huge. I think it's huge. And it doesn't take much. Like you said, it just does not take much to show that you actually care. Right. And it goes a long way. It absolutely it's does. Huge. I know we talked a little bit about goals and you know what are what are and maybe this would I think this kind of links in with goals. Um what are some perhaps common challenges that your clients would face? And, you know, do you have any success stories of them pulling out of those challenges that, that, that um, positively impacted their life or their profession due to your, your coaching? Well, uh, one, of the, one of the things that you get on a goal is goal is an increase, right? So 
how do you get there, right? Some guys figure they can't work any harder and they can't do anything. And I think we can all do things smarter. So, so we definitely try to help in that arena. I can't make you work faster if you don't want to work faster. I get it. I mean, you, if you are at your peak, and some, some docs are. Some docs are clearly, they're, they're as efficient and fast as you can get. I mean, you can only literally drill into a tooth so fast, right? I mean, a, a drill bit only goes so many turns a second or minute or whatever it is. So certain things you can't do, but, but some, of it comes to, some of it comes to raising your fees a little bit. Because year after year, if inflation's going up and then the price is coming in for the supplies that you buy, that goes up every year. The lab costs go up every year. The lab, they figured it out. Lab guys get, they get their money for making crowns and things now. So you might have to raise up a little bit. And that is a, oftentimes a sticking point. So we'll go in and we'll, we'll change certain fees by just, just a little bit. No patient, and, and I have to prove to them that no patient's actually going to complain when you're only changing it by three, four dollars a procedure. But when you look at some of these procedures that are done through the year, that could mean thousands and thousands of extra to the practice. Not only for you, but maybe you need to do some capital improvements. Maybe you need a new roof. Maybe you own the building. Maybe I had to do a parking lot in mine once. I mean, so sometimes this, this other money, the business has expenses, right? It's not just for you. So I think sometimes getting, getting the doctors to see that a little bit of a fee increase is, is necessary, but you got to be careful with it, right? You, you can't, you can't, you got to find national averages. You got to do your research. You got to do your homework and things like that. And I think some of these guys, they've, they've seen what can happen and how they didn't necessarily have to do more. Literally, some of these practices are hanging right on teetering, right on the balance and you put them up just a little bit with a couple dollar increase per procedure change their world because they know they're not going under because you'd be surprised how many of these guys are living right on the edge again it's not it's not cheap to run practice yeah and i'm sure as they're living right on that edge like you're talking about they are fearful for doing anything extra for people because that's more time more energy more money but as soon as they break through that that little bit of gap that you give them then they can do those extra things which then turns in more profit because they're able to do those extra things yeah yeah agreed and and i think getting to those goals too i think one of the things we we really uh work on as well one of the easiest way to get to get more but to make more people happy, which is great if you get both things at the same time, is in treatment planning. Now, and again, I'm sure this is the same for everybody else too. You get a new student, right? You have to know where they're going to start and how they're going to progress and what class they belong and whatever else. When I get a patient, we have to figure out what's going on with them. And half the time, most people don't know that there's anything going on, right? I mean, sure, the patient who comes in who's in pain, they know they have pain. But a lot of people have broken down this, that, and the other thing inside their mouth, and it doesn't hurt yet. It will, but it doesn't hurt today. How am I going to get them to hopefully get into treatment before it actually breaks down and causes pain? There's a bit of an art and science to that. So, so I really work with my docs on, on that. And one of the biggest parts is, is, not, is not telling, but asking. It's funny how much more you get out of patients and, and people in general if you ask them what they want, or if you ask them, you know, if, if you had a choice right now to do some of these things that don't hurt versus waiting till it does hurt, I'll be here. 
but it'll cost you a lot more because all I'm trying to do is if I'm trying to do a filling today, I'm trying to prevent you from needing a crown. If I'm doing the crown, I'm trying to prevent you from needing a root canal or extraction. And every tier is going to be more expensive. So how would you how would you like to right? I, we worked we worked a really nice system, and I teach all my my docs to to really ask. I did force feed a lot of patients in the first five six years of my career. We were doing tremendous numbers even right from the get go. But then I started to realize, wait a minute, nobody's referring anybody. So I think they felt a little bullied. But yet they liked me and they knew we did good treatment. They sure as hell weren't telling anybody else about me. And then when I learned, again, some great consultants, some great coaches taught me how to not just tell, but ask. Show, we use the intraoral camera. Do you know what that is? Where you have the camera what? inside and they can see the Yeah, the, the little up. wand inside yep. your mouth. And you can yep. see it on a TV screen. That was the best thing that's ever happened because how would you know otherwise? Somebody shows you up a little x-ray, you see that? No, I don't see anything. And, and so now we have a TV screen. You can see your, your mouth, you know, in, in plain colored full view on a, on a 32 inch TV screen right in front of you. It, it helps people to understand what's going on. Um, but, but you still, you need to ask people and you need to work with them and, and, you know, be their, be their liaison a little bit, not, not just tell them what to do. Cause that generally just doesn't work. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's uh it's again, it's a little bit of an art. So we, we really work hard on that. Yeah. And, and of course that gets them to make sure that they feel, and they are, but to feel as if they're heard and that's, that's key for anybody. Well, and, and it takes, it gives them ownership, right? If I mm-hmm. tell you, you have to do something, you blow it off, whatever else. And again, that's, that's fine, but you just don't, you don't really buy in. But if I ask you, well, do you see this? Do you see that crack on there? Well, yeah, I do. Okay. Now you can't come back at me later and say you were never told because that happens. That happens in my business. I'm sure it happens in all kinds of businesses. People need to be accountable, but they need they need to they need to accept and and admit that they see it. But most dentists that their, their training planning is never about that. It's just me. I'm the doc. I tell you what to do, and you better do it. But then then they forget or they act like they didn't hear it later, and they can come back at you. So you know we make notes and we put everything in there. But if we do that system, and I teach these systems, if you do that, you've got a paper trail of asking these questions and getting answers, you know darn well that that patient knew about it. So that also makes you feel better because you know you gave them the chance and gave them the care. You just didn't spew out what, what the treatment plan is and then walk away and find out later that nobody's doing any treatment. Sure. Right? right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Corey, thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your expertise with us today. Um, do you, before we wrap up, do you have any, any insights to, to leave our listeners with? Oh gosh, no! All, all I know is I, I, you know, I would love to help anybody out there who uh, needs any any coaching for their dental business, and actually even other small businesses I do. But I, I found, and again, I think it's why I want to go into it too. Not only, not only did I need something else to do, but personally, I don't think I ever would have had the really great career I had had I not had coaches and consultants. Again, I was on on my own. I don't know that I exactly would have figure all this out in, in enough time. I mean, it takes a long time, but with somebody else sitting by your side, calling you, having meetings and really working, working through with you and giving you the information, I just found it invaluable. So I hope that I can continue to help more and more uh, people out there and, and help them with their business. Cause it really, it really can be fun. I mean, dentistry 
is is a little grueling. It's a little physically demanding here and there. But I'm telling you, there is nothing like fixing somebody up who didn't even think they could be fixed, especially when I would do some some cosmetic stuff in front and they were so self-conscious about their smile and they get up and they hug you. I mean, people have tears in their eyes. <laughs> I'm telling you what, man, best feeling in the world. Yeah. I do miss that. I miss that a lot. I miss I miss helping that way, but now I'm just helping in a different way. Sure. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, where, where would they, where could they go to find you? Yeah, you can go onto my website on coachingforsuccess.com. Um, actually, I can give you my email because it's, it's going to be on there, but it's drkkw1 at gmail.com. You can just email me if you want to and start up the process that way, or there's a intake form on my website so people can book for a free consultation. Just to even find out if we're a good fit. Again, there's, there's no sense in, you know, trying to get somebody into a program and making them pay for something. And maybe just maybe I don't have enough for them, or maybe they don't need what I have as my tools and things. So I would just like to talk to anyone for 20, 30 minutes and, and figure out if I really can help them and then where we can go together from there. Very good. And I'll be sure to link those in the show notes for, for you as well. Uh, that's a wrap for today's episode of the Prestidus Initiative. A big thank you again to Dr. Corey Wagner for joining us and sharing uh, his words of wisdom. If you found today's episode valuable, uh, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, sharing it with your friends or colleagues. Remember, whether you're a dentist or if you're in any profession, the principles of productivity, time management, and goal setting can empower you to achieve your full potential. Until next time, make every day count.